0: please raise your hand. Just saying. All right. Um, you know, one of the things that I find is funny with our students is we'll be reading through a passage of Scripture, and it will have a bunch of words in it that they don't actually use or maybe know. Um, so we'll read words, and they're not like hard words. It's just They're just words we don't use. So, like, we'll say things like righteousness. Like, no 12-year-old has ever you know, praise one of his friends. They're like, dude, you have so much righteousness right now. Um, and so one of the rules we have is just we're like, okay, what, what, that, what does that actually mean? What are we actually saying when we say this? And I think sometimes these things are true about about the church itself. I mean, you guys just walked in and we started singing, right? That wasn't weird to anybody? Like some of you were like, yeah, that was a little strange. Uh, if we're being honest. I mean, where where else do you go and gather in a room and sing? I mean, like for so some of you guys, like a Springsteen concert. I'm not really sure. Um, where else do you go? Like, who, who likes school? Anybody? Anybody really a fan of school? It's okay. It's okay. We didn't like you at school. We don't like you now. It's okay. Raise your hand. Now, where else will you go where you submit yourself to like a 45 minute lecture? You know, just because you like to. And so we do things at church that are a little strange. And so what we thought might be helpful is if we if we back up, pump the brakes a little bit, and say, okay, what what actually are we doing here? Why, why do we gather and sing? And why do we just, you know, stand as one and do that? Um, we, we had a celebration last week. We celebrated Easter. And we didn't have a, a piñata or a birthday cake for Jesus. Uh, we, we had a, a service where we sang songs, where we heard what he had done proclaimed through his word, where we gathered around his table just like we just did, and remembered and, and invited his presence among us. And so all those things, like, we kind of take for granted, we're like, yeah, that's going to happen, but why do we do those things? And so the first week, uh, we're going to start off with why, why do we worship? You know, what what is worship, what are we doing uh, when we do that? And so uh, to, to, to start our uh, journey here this morning, if you turn over to John chapter 20, uh, we'll start in verse 24, I'll let you guys get over there in your Bibles, um, might be on the screen behind me for a while, but you're going to need your Bible eventually, so. John chapter 20, we're basically picking up right where uh, we ended last week. Last week we ended with the empty tomb. And, and and in this passage, the disciples are are dealing with everything that has gone on. They, they, are, they, they have seen Jesus crucified, and they don't know that he's been resurrected yet. In, in John, Jesus has only appeared to Mary. And so we have this moment where the disciples are, are literally terrified. It, there's a little detail in there that says that the door is locked. Uh, this isn't just because they're worried about their, uh, their car getting stolen. Uh, this is because they are uh, terrified for their lives. Because the same people that crucified Jesus might be coming after them. And so this is the setting that we find ourselves here in John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, I don't know what happened to Thomas here. Because if you read earlier in the chapter, Jesus appears to the other disciples. And so Thomas, like, I don't know if they sent him out to get like like big gulps for them or something. Like, hey, uh, Thomas, you got the short straw, dude. you got to make the coffee run. Like, I don't know where Thomas was when the rest of the guys were gathered together. But Thomas was somehow absent when Jesus appears to the other disciples. And so Thomas was not there. And if you look... Uh, keep going here, they said to him, we have seen the Lord, but he said, Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it, Thomas gets a bad rap, right, he's like doubting Thomas for all of eternity, I'd be a little upset about this, because if we're being honest, wouldn't you react the same way, like, you're hanging out with your friends. You walk in. They're like, "Yeah, this dead guy just walked through the walls and just hung out with us." You'd be like, "All right, cool. That's that's fantastic. That happens all the time, right?" I don't know where you guys hang out, but that doesn't happen to me. And I would be like, um, "Excuse me. Um, I don't know what you guys have been up to while I was gone. If you're playing some trick on me, but I, you're gonna have to do a little better than that. You got to show me what's going on here." And so Thomas is out, and he says, "I'm not going to believe. You know, I, I don't believe it." And and you know, he gets kind of a bad rap. I don't, I don't know if he's comfortable being called doubting Thomas, because I think a lot of us would have responded the same way. He says, unless I see it, unless I see it for myself, I'm not going to believe it. But if you look in verse 26, it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, again, we're terrified, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And so Jesus comes, and, and he enters into the situation again. And, I, you know, again, this is just a little aside. I don't know what this is saying about our resurrected bodies. Because in a while, we're going to see that Jesus is able to eat with the disciples. That the food doesn't just go right through him. But apparently, he can walk through walls. And and so, what this tells me, just as a little aside, is that being resurrected is going to be kind of awesome. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm still holding out hope that I can fly. Um, that has nothing to do with the Bible. Has nothing to do with God. It's just, selfishly, I just want to be able to fly, okay? And so, Jesus walks into a a locked room, walks essentially through the walls, and he says, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, wouldn't Jesus appearing in the room have been enough? Like, couldn't he just said, See, Thomas, here I am. But what does he do? He invites Thomas to touch His hands, to touch the wounds in his hands, to to touch his side where he was pierced. And so Jesus invites Thomas not only to observe, not only to behold him, but to experience him. I don't know where Thomas was when Jesus came the first time. But the second time, he comes and he invites Thomas to experience him. One of the things I I tell people a lot, and I've heard this from a lot of people, is that we, we are all theologians. Like, you may not consider yourself somebody who talks about, uh, you know, whether there's a predestination or not, or whether there's, uh, you know, we all um, are, are, are resurrected for all of eternity, how that works out. I don't know uh, if you think about those things. But what we have to realize is, is that God is revealing himself. He is drawing us close. He's inviting us to touch him. Um, he's inviting us to experience him. And our response to those experiences, the way that you live your life, says what you think about God, says what you think about those things that have been revealed to you. Um, w- when it comes to worship, I think a lot of times we do this with this weird sort of dualistic thing. So worship becomes about our emotions. Worship becomes about making us feel something. Uh, and it becomes about um, the, the, the way that maybe the music makes us feel, the way that the words, they fall on our ears. And if it makes us feel something, then clearly God was moving, and clearly God was doing something. And we discount the part where where God is actually trying to get to our brain and to, and to talk to us in ways that we can understand, in, in ways that we uh, can experience. Um, some of us, I think especially guys, we, we use this as sort of an excuse not to engage the Lord in worship. Because, because all the weird, crazy people are getting all emotional over here. I'm just not that guy. Right? And so I'm going to think with my brain. I'm going to reason this thing out. But, but here's the thing. That is such a false premise. God is not asking you when it comes to worship to turn off your brain. In in fact, as as we're going to see here in just a moment, um, what God is inviting us into is is a more revealed presence. He's inviting us us to see him for who he is and then respond. And so we are all theologians. The, The things that we see of God and the way that we respond to that tells exactly who we think that God is. Let me put it this way. So Courtney and I, um, have been together for 10 years now. Uh, we've been married for almost five of those years. Now, Courtney and I met when we were seniors in high school. So what this does is, like, I, I can't tell any student that, oh, yeah, that won't be the one you married, because I, I, I've completely lost that ability, because I met my future wife as a senior in high school. Now, when we were seniors in high school, we were absolutely in love. I mean, I, I, I don't really uh, make any excuse or make any... Uh, you know, there's no uh, bones about it. We we were definitely in love, and and we were in love in all the ways that two seniors in high school would be. We love we loved being around each other, just love hanging out with one another. We talk late on the phone. Uh, we just you know just all that weird smiley stuff. You know that, uh, that that was happening. So ten years, ten years we've been together, and you know what? Like some of those things, some of those things that may have marked our early relationship, they're they're different now. They're not, they're not gone by any stretch. Um, you know, we never fought when we were dating, like very, very rarely. And if it was, it was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you're right, no, you're right. You know? And every married guy in here is like, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. But here's what I want to point out, is that our love, our love was, was immature at one point. But but now, even though even though we've had a, a fight or two in in that time, even though we've had a disagreement, the more I know of Courtney, the more I see of her and this fantastic woman. The more I see the things that make her tick, the more I see her heart, the more in love I am. Right. And so, when it comes to worshiping God, it's the same thing. Like we may start out with this emotional experience of God. We may be worshiping and, and gathering around a, a Lord Jesus whom we don't really understand at all. We just know that He's saying something that is for us, but but God is inviting us into a journey. That will result in maturity, that will result in us walking with Him, not just, oh God, I guess I felt something. Because, guys, those of you who are married know that there are days in your marriage where you the, the reason that you stay together is not because of your emotions. It's not because, it's not because you feel so much for that person at that particular moment. It's it's a force of your will. And the interesting thing is in our society, that sort of love is completely looked down upon, right? Like like if you if you just if, if you have decided um, what the what the Hebrews called ah, ah, ahava, excuse me, let's speak my Hebrew. Um, if you have decided in your mind that you are with that person no matter what, that sort of love is discounted. We have this idea of romantic love that if you don't feel it, oh what, what happened to your marriage? Oh, we fell out of love. Right? Every one of us have heard something like that. But what God is inviting us into is to see him for who he is, to see his his revelation, to see his presence. Turn over to Romans 12, 1-2. We're going to look at this uh, as Paul would see it. This is a, those of you guys who spent some time in church, are probably familiar with this passage. We're going to focus on it a little bit differently in this moment. But it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, what's that word? Renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, when we turn to this passage and we talk about worship, we typically focus on the part where, where Paul is saying that he's, he's, asking us he's demanding that we would offer our whole lives as a response to what God has done. But what we usually just kind of skip over is how that is actually taking place. You see Romans 1 through 11 it, it builds like a symphony and this part therefore, uh, I urge you brothers, is, is sort of the turn in that argument. and so everything that comes before this section is is, is, uh, is Paul is showing us that that is all a part of what he's going to say next. And so, what Paul has done in Romans is he has shown step by step how God has kept the promises to Israel, to his people. Because you could see, like, if people come along starting this new thing, like, okay, Jesus is the Messiah, so now, now uh, we follow Christ. And uh, you could see, as a Jewish person who'd been taught that the Lord your God is one, to worship him and him alone, uh, that, that the Messiah would come and would restore Israel. You could see how these things would be a little confusing. And so Paul is talking to the Jewish Christians, specifically, uh, in Rome, and he's saying, look, God has done exactly what he said he was going to do. He just didn't do it the the way you thought he would. And so Romans 12, 1 is the turn in that. And he says, in light of this ordered account of what God has done, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship by the renewing of your minds. When it comes to worship, God is not asking us to turn our brains off and turn the emotion up. Uh, what we find is that is that when we, when we see God for who he is, it leads our hearts to greater worship. Um, it's quite the opposite, really. And, and in fact, look, if you go back to Romans 1, the sort of famous passage that reveals that all of humanity is sinful and broken, the, the thing that God gives them over to in, in, in light of their rebellious desires is, is a depraved mind. And so what, what begins to happen is, is our response to God uh, becomes about how we have seen him. Uh, worship is a response to an experience of God. It, it's, it's responding to who uh, God has shown himself to be. And so our worship is always a response to something that God has already done. But when we when we fail to give God worship, when we fail to give him honor, uh, he gives us over to, as Romans 1 says, a depraved mind. Um, neuroscientists are beginning to study that the decisions that we make actually begin to rewire our brain. And so this, this gets into the point of discipline, of habit. And, and especially when we talk about worship, we talk about emotion, Like words like discipline and habit and, and, and effort seem so far, it seems like, oh, that's law, I don't want to do that. I can't approach God that way. But Paul would have no part of that. Paul's saying, look, the, the way that we constantly have God reveal himself to us is by allowing ourselves to be in his presence. is, is allowing our decisions each day to carry our cross and to follow him uh, to, to to rewire our brain, to renew our minds. And so when it comes to worship, God is not asking you to turn your brain off. This is why, this is why the songs that we sing here, the words are so important. I'm very conscious of the fact, I'm the one who picks the songs for the most part, very conscious of the fact that I'm putting words in your mouth. I, I am putting things for you to say about God. And so those things become of utmost importance this is why we don't sing only songs that are new this is why we don't sing only songs that are old because god is still working he's still moving but god has also revealed himself throughout history throughout time to people and experiences um just a couple examples we just sang a song it said freely you gave it all for us surrendered your life upon that cross great is the love poured out for all this is our god lifted on high from death to life forever our god is glorified Servant and king, rescue the world. This is our God. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. For most of us, the songs that we sing are the best bit of theology that we spit out every week. And, and I don't say that to, to convict you, but what I'm saying is to, to understand that the words that we're singing are not haphazard by accident. They're taken from Scripture, and they're taken from the experience of people who have walked, who have struggled with God. This is why we don't sing only happy songs. We sing songs that say, when waters rose, when clouds veiled sun, oh my soul, it aches. We're inviting God into the mess, into the brokenness. The lyrics and the songs aren't just nice rhymes; they're, they're, they're poetry. And so, what what God is inviting us into when, when we approach worship is to have our minds renewed. In Thomas's world, dead people stay dead. He'd never been to—I mean, this would be kind of exciting, right? Like you go to a funeral and you don't really know, like, if the person's going to get up and get out of the casket. Like, I think I would actually like funerals at that point, right? Like, we'd all be like, "It happened, right? You know, this would be kind of fun." You know, we don't like funerals because it's an end. it's sad. It breaks our heart. But if there was a chance, like, you know, I can see even some of you more degenerate people gambling on this stuff. You know, like, like, is he going to get up? I don't know. Um, But in Thomas's world, dead people stay dead. He was not expecting a risen Messiah. He was not expecting a crucified Messiah. But Christ invites him to touch, not just, not just, hey, see Thomas, here I am. He says, experience me. Touch and see. And look at Thomas's response. My Lord and my God. That's worship. Acknowledging that God is exactly who he says he is. Acknowledging that Christ is exactly who he says he is. My Lord and my God. Worship is a response to an experience of God, who he is, and what he has done. And guys, he wants to reveal himself to you. This begs a question, I think, for us that we have to answer. Who is that God? Who is that God that we worship? Because if, if God is inviting us to worship him uh, for who he is and what he has done, then who is he and what has he done? Uh, a couple couple things, I think, that we sometimes uh, have misconceptions about who God is. And so I'm going to list just a couple of, of things I see in our society, in our church, that I think sometimes is maybe a, a, a misapprehension of who God is. The first one, the old cranky guy with a beard, um, the eternal killjoy, trying to dominate his creation into submission. Well, why does God tell you that you can't, uh, that that you shouldn't uh, do certain things, that you shouldn't ser- sin in certain ways? Is it because He just don't want you to have any fun. Is it because He's trying to just make you so depressed and and beaten down that you'll be like, okay, God, I guess I'll worship you, um, or. Or is it something else? You see, a lot of people have this view of God that he is the judge. That he is waiting for them to mess up so he can bury them. The God is the old cranky guy with the beard, kind of senile, doesn't really know what's going on. But he knows how to drop the hammer. And so this becomes a, a you know, you can see, like Matt Chandler says this great thing. He says, no one wants to hang out with the judge, right? Like, you don't want to play catch. You don't want to grab a cold beverage with the judge, Right? Because you're always a little on edge. You're like, am I breaking the law here? Like, is this going to be okay? Like, it's always that mentality. You know those people in your life, that those people that you that you just feel a little uneasy around, you're kind of always glad it's over when it's over, like you're, you're hoping you didn't mess anything up. Some people see God this way, and it's no wonder that they, don't, they can't worship him, that he seems uh, far off and, and a little bit cruel, right? And so God is not the old cranky guy with the beard. Second thing I think we mistake God for, distant and removed. Uh, This is a leftover from the 18th century, uh, beginning of the Enlightenment period, uh, when people basically decided uh, if there is a God, uh, he doesn't care about his creation. He's far off. He's doing his own thing. Uh, This works out in a couple of different ways. Um, Basically, uh, God is up there, but it would also seem that given all the pain, the suffering, all the things that go on in the world, he really doesn't care about his creation. Um, in this mindset, God is either absent, he's powerless, or he's just flat-out cruel, right? Because if he's absent, then he's just, he's just away. Like, he set the world up like a clock, and then he walked away. Um, if he's powerless, then he sees all the things that are going on in the world, and he can't do anything about it. Or, the worst-case scenario is he's a total uh, cruel tyrant, because he sees all these things, and he decides to do nothing. And so some people have seen that God is far off, he's distant and removed. And again, if this is your picture of who God is, it's not hard to imagine why your worship, why you're giving of your heart to something that has been revealed to you is far off, distant and removed. Because that is who God in your perception has shown himself to be. And so that's the second one, the distant removed God. The third, and this is the one I think that very much is the is sort of the air we breathe. The, um, it's basically the, the God that looks like you. Um, in many ways, this is the God of our age. Um, you, you know, people, uh, people claim uh, that they don't believe in God, that they don't, uh, they don't worship any sort of higher power. But really, when you peel back the layers, who are they worshiping? To themselves, right? Like, they're, they're worshiping something that they, they have determined in their infinite wisdom, you know, in their 40 or 50 years, that they are the apex of human existence. Thank you for being among us, really, Um, because sometimes I just want to point out how arrogant that is Uh, to to say that God is uh, exactly who you have made him to be. In Genesis 1, God fashions man in his image, but in reality, a lot of us today have fashioned God in our own image. If God never says anything about uh, sin in your life, if he only does stuff you approve of, if he only talks and sounds the way that you would talk and sound, then perhaps you're not worshiping God at all. Perhaps God looks a lot like you, a lot like the God you see in the mirror. And, and this is, again, like we can point at this from so many angles because it is so prevalent in our society. Um, it, it's so prevalent in our churches, even. Uh, but you see that like um, people say, well, just, just go after your heart. You know, just follow your heart and, you know, be who you're supposed to be. Um, and, and those things all sound really nice, and I'm going to sound really grumpy and cruel saying, well, maybe not. But, but, but the Bible seems to bear witness that our hearts, the, the bent of them is kind of evil. That we do the things that are right by us. We do the things that are that are best for us, but we don't look to the needs of others. We don't love God and love our neighbor as Jesus would have said. And so a lot of times I think when we peel back the layer of the God that we are worshiping, the, a lot of times, it's, it really looks a lot like us. The answer to all this, the problem with all this, the, 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 the God's response to, to the old cranky guy with the beard, to the distant removed God, to the God that we would make in our own image, is Jesus. But to, to get there, we're going to go back to Isaiah 40. So turn with me over to Isaiah 40. actually saw God for who he is what what if he actually invited us to touch his scars to put our hands in his wounds what if he's inviting us into that right now Isaiah chapter 40 because I think like Thomas when we see God for who he is our response will be my lord and my God so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around a little bit in this chapter but i just want to point out a couple things and we're going to get back to the new testament it says comfort comfort my people says your god this is this is written to people who are in exile who have been told over and over again that their god has been either defeated or he never existed at all Uh, that they have no hope that they have are, are, are dominated beyond any sort of repair and this is what the message that god speaks into that situation Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it together. Look at verse 6. All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. This is why we make crummy gods, because we keep dying. The grass withers and flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain, you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And so Isaiah is going to begin to push back against this idea that we can worship a God, any other God than has been revealed to us. You know, we, most of us in here, yeah, we're fine people. We just don't make very good gods. Um, I think about it this way. like if, if, if somebody were to tell me that you guys, like while I was preaching this message, Um, You know, uh, Matt was going to throw up just a videotape of my thoughts and my actions over the last week. Um, Guess what? I'm not still standing here. You guys have either done away with me or I've walked out. Um, Because we are hypocritical at our hearts. We we are prone to to say one thing and do another. But the word of the Lord, as Isaiah said, stands forever. Here's the good part. Verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You want to see who God is? God's not far off. God's not distant. He's not angry with you. He says, comfort, comfort my people. I'm coming to you. Now, this is in the midst of judgment and exile. But God says that I will not let judgment and exile have the last word. That I am coming myself to you. You you think God is distant and far off? The problem with that is Jesus. Because he came. And he comes like a shepherd. Jesus will say that I am the good shepherd. That, that my lambs hear my voice and they know me. Okay, let's turn over. Actually, let's look at one more verse than that before we head over there. Um, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Um, what that is saying is that God is really big. You know, The whole world fits like right here. It doesn't even take up the whole hand. It's just part of it. And he's saying this God who, is, who fills the whole universe, who is bigger than anything that we can comprehend, will come to us like a shepherd, will draw us close to us. God is the God who comes near. Perhaps we could see him for who he is today. Ephesians 2 in verse 1. It says as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, that's everyone, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Jump ahead to verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you. He came. And pe- preach peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ at himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, I know we don't normally read large sections of Scripture in, in, in church like that, but I want you to notice just a couple things that are going on in that passage. It says that He Himself is our peace, that Christ has, has come near. It says that He came, verse 17, He came and preached peace to, you, to those of you who were far away and peace to those who were near um verse 21 or verse 22 excuse me and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling which god lives by his spirit guys if you think that god is is angry with you if you think that god is, is distant and far off if you think that god looks a lot like you the answer to that is christ himself that god came again if he didn't care to know you if he just wanted you to live a certain way couldn't he have done that a different way like, couldn't he have just written some stuff in the sky and been like, hey, just, just follow these and you'll be good? Couldn't he have left the tablets of stone like in, in a museum somewhere that we'd all know, okay, don't kill, don't murder, worship God alone. Yeah, we'll do all those things and we'll be fine. But, but if God desires to know us, if he's asking us to, to, to respond to an experience of, of himself, and he's inviting us into that, then he came himself. He says, okay, this is going to cost me the thing that is the most dear to me, my son Jesus. We just celebrated Good Friday. And the reason that we can call it good is because through his cross, through his resurrection, he is making peace. And if you read that last verse, verse 22, it says that he is making us into a dwelling that God's spirit can dwell. Jesus didn't just come into the chaos and the madness of our lives, into the suffering and the pain for a while. He wants to walk with you every day of your life. He wants to dwell with you. But when we confine God to to an hour on a Sunday morning and, and wonder why our worship is boring and dry, perhaps, perhaps it's something else. Perhaps if we were to walk with Him and to see Him for who He is, we'd respond like Thomas and say, My Lord and my God. Guys, He's inviting all of us into that sort of relationship, into that sort of reality, into that sort of world-redeeming hope. He's making peace through His cross, through His resurrection. And so, I hope that today, if we could just see Him for who He is, then we might be able to worship Him. Then we might be able to see that God is is acting and moving in our lives. And that He's still coming close to us today. Alright, we're going to wrap up with John 10. I'm going to invite the guys in the band to come on up. John 10. Let's start in verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he runs away. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Think God doesn't care about you? Think he's far off? He's come near. And, and I want to illustrate to you what the cross actually says to us, is that there's nothing that you can do, nothing that you have done in your life already that will separate you from God's amazing and, and uh, all-redeeming love. He's inviting us all to behold Him. And and I hope you guys, if you don't hear me say anything else today, hear this, that God is near, that He has come near, that He didn't just see it fit to just like, okay, you guys, you do that and we'll see you when you get to heaven. He's inviting us into a reality where He is close that he draws near to us, and in the middle of the pain and all the suffering. And so guys, for some of us in here, I know we've been doing this thing for a while. Like we show up here uh, week in and week out, and, and we're trying our best to walk with the Lord. And that's a good thing, let me just say. But maybe perhaps we need to allow God to reveal himself more to us. And you know, it's going to sound you know old school and all that, but perhaps the, the, the way that we do that is by walking with him, by inviting him into our realities every day, by by reading the word and memorizing scripture, by, by actually saying, God, you know, I need you today. Uh, perhaps for some of us that have been going for a while, that's the reality we need to sort of awake ourselves to today. Uh, for others of you, uh, you still might be kind of skeptical, like the whole idea of worship, especially as we do it in here, might seem a little, a little trivial, maybe a little contrived. But if God is moving, if he is acting in the world, then we are singing to a living and breathing God who hears us, who has come into the middle of all this to walk with us and to be with us. And so, if that's you, if you, if you feel like, man, I don't, I don't know, there's a God in the world that could love me. Um, I hope you see Jesus for who He is this morning. Uh, I'm not, I'm not adding anything to Him. I'm not making anything up. This is who He is. He is the God who came near. And when it comes to worship, that is worthy of our worship. That is worthy of our honor. So he's inviting us to do that. Uh, we're going to respond in song here this morning. Um, if you feel like, if you feel like God is speaking to your heart, you know, I challenge you. Um, we're the leadership team members. Can you guys raise your hands? Those of you who are here. Um, if that's you, you can just look around. You can talk to one of these people. You can talk to me after. Uh, we invite you to do that. Um, but we're going to respond in song. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would see your heart. Your grace, God, Lord, that You are the God who comes near, who speaks to us, who whispers peace into our lives. Lord, it's no—it's no coincidence that when You saw the disciples after Your death, when You saw uh, Thomas, You said, "Peace be with you," because You are You yourself are our peace, as Ephesians says. And so, God, we ask, Lord, that our worship would not be some some contrived version of God, but would be the God of of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, would be the God of of Jesus Christ, would be the God of Paul Would the God revealed in Scripture living and active in our lives here today God, if there's some of us here today that are just going through hardships and pain that are beyond anything we've ever been through, God, I pray that you would come near that you would acknowledge that we are speaking, God, that we would see that you hear us, Father Lord, that we would reach out to other people in the church here this morning, that we would allow your peace to be made manifest in our lives. So, God, we ask that you, Lord, would just be glorified, would be honored. Lord, help us to respond to you in worship. Lord God, we love you today we pray.